And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right. Good morning, everybody. Um, welcome to a live episode of the 11 Personnel Podcast. Uh, like I mentioned before, I'm flying solo today. Uh, have been for the last couple of weeks, although I had Stu Jackson on. If you guys haven't checked that out, great insight from Stu um, the other week on as a guest co-host of 11 Personnel. And uh, I think that Rich will have some updates in terms of um, he's on the uniforms beat, as you guys know. Um, so I think Rich will have some updates on that as we uh, sort of get into things here in the, in the summer. Uh, although update, I don't, I don't know how generous we want to be with that word because <laughs> it might be lack thereof. Um, but yeah, good morning, everybody. I am so happy to be here with you guys this morning. I've got my coffee. I've got the dog laying down here by me. Um, and I hope you guys are all, you all had a great week. I hope you all were staying hydrated and staying caffeinated and all that good stuff. Um, yeah, so Rams wrapped up OTAs this week and, and next on the list is, is going to be mandatory minicamp. Um, that happens next week. It unfolds through the middle of the week and, uh, media will have access for two of the three days during OTAs. We had access to one of each one day for each week. And obviously, um, I've I've documented the the list of restrictions and information limits um, over over time, uh, and, and you guys are all familiar with that, I'm sure. But um, if anyone wants to follow up on that or has any questions, um, you know, information is somewhat limited this time of year. But as you guys know, um, I love to hint and I love to drop little hints uh, and breadcrumbs. And um, I see a couple of questions in here um, that the people who maybe couldn't make the, the live show have, have even referenced those breadcrumbs. So I appreciate that. But um, this is going to be a cool little little show. I'm going to get to you guys' questions, but then also, and, and if you have questions that you don't want to speak aloud, um, you can drop them in the chat and I'm happy to get to those here. And then also, I'd love to hear you guys' voices. I think that's the coolest thing about this format is that I get to hear from you guys. Um, so I'm going to get to the queue. It looks like people lined up. Um, forgive me in advance if we have any <laughs> technical difficulties. You guys know I am totally hopeless uh, with machines. So, um, all right, I'm going to look. Let's see. We've got uh, Tom C. I'm going to see if I can bring you up on the stage if you're ready. Here we go. Okay, Tom, can you hear me? Can you hear me okay? Yep, we got hey, you. Hey, Jordan, morning. how are you? Good, how are you? Great, thanks. Great. Got my double coffee cup going here. I was Love as I was filling it. that up, I'm like, I'm sure Jordan's doing the same thing. So, <laughs> hey, um, yeah, so I just think it's interesting. I get a lot of, a lot of questions from other um, on Twitter spaces a lot and get a lot of questions from from other fan bases about, you know, the, this difference between how experienced um, and veteran our offense is compared to our defense. And it's, it is quite a stark difference. Right. And so uh, how much are you are you hearing? Is there a lot of talk around the the team and um, are there, is there any kind of analysis going on about how inexperienced that defense is uh, by my count? And it's not some major, uh, you know, exploratory effort, but it, it may be the starting defense and may have the fewest snaps um, aside from Donald 
uh, the, the other 10 guys may have the fewest snaps of any team ever, you know, in the last, say, 20, 30 years. So extremely inexperienced defense. What's, what's the talk around camp about that other than the obvious positive? Hey, a lot of young guys are going to play. Yeah. Great question, Tom. Also, really nice touch having the wind chimes in there, man. That was that's some that had some zen to my morning that I really appreciate. So thank you for that. Um, yeah, it's not so much talk like um, you know, holy crap, look at what babies everyone is. I mean, you feel it though, like you're walking around and like I, I interviewed the specialist. I know I know your question was about defense, but I interviewed the specialists earlier this week. And I've never felt more ancient in my entire life than sitting down with those guys uh, because they're all like 20, 21 years old. Um, and it's just wild how because I'm so used to being around this team and, and it is so veteran heavy. You feel, you know, you're, you're among people who are at least, you know, they've lived some life at this point and they've lived some life in the NFL. So I think more of the chatter is is more so they're restarting like how they teach a lot of things. And and I think that's been in a way really rejuvenating for the coaching staff. Now that won't come without its frustrations. Um, there's going to be bumps along the way. Gro- growth and progress is never linear. It's always bumpy. And so I think that that's something that, you know, I fans, I, I would just say, you know, to temper your expectations in that regard, because you're going to see people mess up on a big stage. You're going to see them, recover. You're going to see them fail. You're going to see them learn. You're going to see some of them learn. You're going to see some of them, maybe some of them never quite learn the way that it's supposed to be. Um, and that's football. That's life. And and I think that that's something that there's a reframing of the ethos and the mental space within the building of, um, okay, there's maybe a little more patience, but not less urgency, if that makes sense. And And if you guys, you know, all you guys are, are fans of the team, obviously, and and so you are very familiar with the particular brand of of urgency that Sean McVay brings to the table. And I think when you're looking at an offense that needs to get its work done and needs to actually get a productive install, but they're also going against a very inexperienced defense. To me, so far, it has seemed like there's just as much of that um, the, the offense going about its business as it usually would. But on the defensive side, it seems like they're allowing them to push a little bit more. Um, it reminds me a little bit of when Brandon Staley was in uh, here at in 2020, and they'd all been um, sort of – we had just emerged as a, in the football world from um, a phase of lockdown, and all the, all the players had basically learned the theory of this defense over Zoom without – actually going out and doing it. And there's this energy of like, okay, we're finally bursting out into the world kind of a thing. And that's the energy that sort of feels similar. Um, of course, structurally, there's going to be a lot of learning to do. So I'm not saying, you know, you're out there flying around and and just crushing it the way that they were in, in 2020. But in terms of the energy specifically, it feels similar to, okay, they're letting them be a little a, not loose is the wrong word, but but free almost like, okay, go make the play. If you see the play, go make the play. Um, because you have to also build confidence with with these younger guys on defense, especially um, the, the inexperience. Though it it should be concerning, it is concerning. They're they're basically rebuilding one side of the ball, one side of the ball. Um, and I know that you know that we've talked a lot in the past about defense. They have determined will be their sort of sacrificial lamb in order to get this, as Les Need calls it, this remodel done as quickly as possible. 
you know, modern, modern NFL teams, you can rebuild or remodel. You can do this in a year. We've seen this over and over again. We just saw the Seahawks do it. Um, the Rams just saw the Seahawks do it. You saw Philadelphia do it really quickly and modern NFL teams, you can do that. And so to me, it seems like they're sort of borrowing those concepts and those philosophies in terms of what they think might be possible. We've talked a lot about this being a setup year financially, especially for 2024. And they're really depending on those guys to, to come along quickly. Now, we'll know more as we get into training camp, whether that is actually hindering the offense or holding them back in certain ways. For now, it seems like they're basically saying, hey, even if you're not totally sure, uh, if you're going to make a mistake, make a mistake all out really fast, 100%, and then we'll correct it. But if you can make the play and learn from it, um, it sort of seems like there's this fine line that's being walked. Um, you know, hopefully, I, I'm not sure if that totally answers your question, but hopefully that gets you a little bit closer. Um, because, yeah, yeah it, it definitely is. Um, it, it definitely is. It's definitely different, but not in a way that's uh, frustrated or critical. It's just taking a different blend of of that patience, urgency, going back to basics. I mean, they're, they one thing I'd say, like they haven't even really done kick and punt return drills yet. Like that's how back to basics they are in terms of teaching young people how to even do these drills. Football practices are such an intricate weaving in and out of, of high-paced uh, just drilling and, and timing and all of that stuff. It teaches them how to think in, in the football space. And you have to start from the beginning, even doing that. So they haven't even gotten to, you know, step two or step three. They're still on step one in, in many ways, but they're trying to find a way to do that without dragging down the offense because the offense needs to practice competitively as well. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, thanks for providing that, that kind of context and a view into how <clears throat> this is all being handled internally. And um, thanks for doing these, uh, these live um, these live chats are great. Um, we'd love for you guys to do more of them. And uh, great idea turning it into a podcast. And Cooper Pup says hi to you. And <laughs> love it. Thanks, love Tom. It. Appreciate the question. Um, okay, so now it looks like we're going to get Kenneth V up on stage here. Hey, Kenneth. Hey, how's it going, Jordan? Good to see I'm you. Good. Good to or talk to you, man. Yeah, good to hear you. Happy Friday. Okay. Yeah, happy Friday. So um, I got a wide receiver question. I know over the last four years, the Rams kept six two times and seven two times. But with the signings of DeMarcus and Tyler, I'm guessing it's going to be a seven year, but I don't know. Neither None of us do. But um, And this is a Jordan question, not a Rams question, not a reporter, but Jordan <laughs> has a fan question, okay? Um, so out of these 13 that we have right now, if we kept seven, I'm guessing we got, you know, um, obviously Coop, Van, Sco and Tutu are maybe the returning lock four, although maybe maybe you would have a different opinion on that. Um, so then if there was three more, with the signing of DeMarcus and Tyler, then we have, you know, Wonder Kid Lance last year. Uh, we have the only guy above 6'3 in Warren Jackson, who we hear nothing about. Um, so I'm just wondering uh, if you had to pick the seven right now as a fan, um, what seven would you pick? Good question. Um, so first and foremost, we we don't know some we don't know about some of these guys yet. I will say it, it was going back to uh, last this last week's OTAs availability. Um, seeing Tyler Johnson out there, I mean he he definitely there's a difference. You can tell he's been a pro. He understands where to go, how to be. He's practicing. He practices immediately with urgency. 
Um, and you can just tell because again, there's a lot of, there's a huge difference between some of the people who are just learning for the first time, like even how to move between drill to drill to drill and people who are doing so without having to think about it. Like you can sort of tell the, the difference. And um, so Tyler's one of those people. And I think if I can answer your question the long way around, cause you know me, I'm, uh, I'm not known for being succinct um, <laughs> that it's, it, that's part of the reason why you bring those two veteran receivers in um, right now. Cooper cup is not fully practicing. Um, ben Skronik was not fully practicing last week um, because of a, a little bit of foot soreness and Van Jefferson had a rest day and he's obviously the, one of the veterans of the group now. So he's going to be on this sort of very careful management schedule because they really need him to be super productive for them right away. So um, you, you now have players who would normally be showing the younger guys, the ropes, not necessarily fully contributing in, in standard practicing, you know, drills, things like that. So now you need more veterans to show guys the ropes, to show them what it's like to be a pro. Things like body movements, footwork, drilling through different things, attention to detail, um, applying what they learn in the classroom out to the field. So much of that that goes on behind the scenes that that nobody gets a chance to see. Um, I think that's a really important reason to bring in those two veteran guys because we don't know what we don't know about them yet. Um, they're not really playing football right now. So um, we, we just don't know. I do like that both of them could potentially have return, you know, be returners. Um, they could have, re they both have some return experience. Um, DeMarcus especially has a lot of return experience. And I think that that's promising because again, they haven't even started drilling that yet. So you really got to figure out, okay, uh, do we start from scratch here or do we get a veteran guy in? So at least we don't have to worry about that with our, um, and I can't emphasize this enough, all rookie special teams unit. <laughs> um, it might help to have like a, a veteran there um, returning kicks, kickoffs and punts. Um, and, and, and so for me, it's like, I think every year the Rams usually have like a UDFA who, who does make this roster. There's an opportunity to do that again. Um, but like they also, these veteran guys, these, these um, sort of springtime post June 1st signings, that's, there's promise for them too. Um, you know, I, I couldn't necessarily pick which one because I haven't actually, you know, I haven't seen DeMarcus practice yet. Um, I've seen Tyler practice one day. Uh, and, and it's again, they, these aren't real practices. They're they're installing. They're not doing real football. Uh, I mean, like not to diminish what they're doing, but it's not it's not any sort of way to get a, a good sense of of where people are at. Um, but I think if I were going to go, let's see, I've got my. You guys can hear that. My paper roster, uh, the the official the official one. Um, we did get an updated roster. It's paper, so it's very wrinkled, as you guys can hear. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I think you're, you're looking at Cooper Cup, Van Jefferson. Um, you're looking at Ben Skoranek. You're looking at Tutu Atwell. Uh, let's see, that's four. Um, you know, I really do think Puka makes this roster. Again, we don't know. We don't know. But he showed so much promise and potential in terms of handling, handling this workload. Um, so that's five. Let's see. Now I'm going to flip my little roster over. And if I don't... Let's see. I don't mention something, someone you guys definitely let me know. Y you know, I do think at least one of these two veteran guys, whether it's DeMarcus or Tyler, they, I do think that they make the roster. Um, and then, you know, they've, if they keep seven, let's see, I've done now that's six. If they keep seven, let's see. I love this question. It puts me on the spot a little bit. Probably Lance McCutcheon too. 
um, you know, he's, he's got to take a step forward in his development, but like in terms of the physical stuff, like he looks ready to go. He's, he's taller, he's longer in terms of that, that build that they don't necessarily have a lot of on this roster. Um, and you know, you could see coach Yarber taking a lot of time with him, making sure, you know, it's really easy once the season starts and, and the Lance McCutcheon question, I get that all the time. It's really easy once the season starts to disappear on this roster, as you guys have seen it year over year over year. Part of that is because in years past, they've needed people to play the scout team for them. So if you're like the wide receiver six or seven, like, like Lance was, uh, last year, then you probably have to play scout team because you're too top heavy to get, and you can't play your veterans on scout team, but you need to fill scout team spots. So you're now deviating some of your development time or a good chunk of your development time during the week. You're deviating that to the scout team. And then you start to get slowed down in terms of what you're able to actually do in participation with the first and second teams. Um, now the Rams obviously don't have much of that kind of problem because, um, yes, they still are, are top heavy in some places on this roster, but, um, they also are going to have to play these, some of these young guys. And that means that these young guys will have to practice with the, with the first and second team versus the scout team. So, um, I, I answered that question in a very long, uh, long roundabout way. I hope that that, um, I hope that that, helped. Uh, you guys let me know if I forgot someone. I'm sure I did. I'm only halfway through my coffee this morning, but um, great question, Kenneth. Thank you so much. Um, okay. Eric A, I'm going to bring you up on the stage here and I see you guys in the chat. I'm going to grab you guys in a second. I'll try to not uh, be so uh, lengthy and rambling in my answers, but flying solo here today. So thank you guys for jumping on stage with me because it means that uh, I have a little company here. Okay. Uh, I'm looking at Jason T. Look alive, Jason T. I'm going to bring you up on stage here. Good morning. How are you doing? Good. Thank you so much for joining. Yes, it's awesome. I love to hear this. Um, I had a question about, uh, I believe Chase M was um, put on the blocks, so to speak, that he might be open to at least uh, trade rumors or trade uh, scenarios. And I noticed last year uh, the Reds went really hard for Brian Burns. But it seems like this year um, they kind of pivoted to uh, hold their resources and whatnot for the following year for 2024 with all the dead cap money they're taking. Would it be possible for the Rams to even attempt to go after Chase? And um, is there a philosophy of change in that regard, especially with um, what you said with um, defense being so young? Awesome question, Jason. Thank you so much for asking. Um, yeah, so you guys who have been uh, around me for a long time know that um, I, I'm always sort of sharing that when these guys are ready to try to make a push and to make a big move, it's going to be at a premium position, pass rusher being one of them, um, cornerback being historically another, <clears throat> and uh, sometimes wide receiver. I think the Christian McCaffrey is a bit of an anomaly um, last year, but that Brian Burns thing, that was real. And then also calling to, to see what they could find out about like a Bradley Chubb, um, in the past, as I've reported in the past, they had, in, you know, discussed potentially trying to push and see if they, what they could do, uh, with a Daniil Hunter situation in Minnesota. And at that time, as you guys will probably remember, Minnesota really wasn't about it. Well, now, um, you're seeing a couple of pass rushers, Chase Young and Daniil Hunter. Um, now they're sort of, on the blocks, as, as you said, uh, Jason. And, 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 and I think that it's, it's a fine line to walk because as things currently stand 
today, Friday, uh, I think it's what, June, June 9th. Um, the Rams are not in any sort of shape or position to bring in someone who is that caliber of elite, uh, you know, premium position because that's just not the phase that this roster is in as things stand right now. And certainly, you know, not the place their cap is in. They'd have to do a lot of maneuvering in order to um, bring in and then you have to extend them. Usually the player and the agent want to be extended pretty quickly into joining the new team. Um, you've seen this time and time again. The, the anomaly uh, in that case was Jalen Ramsey, who was they traded for and then they waited till the end of that year. They, they waited a little bit to give him that extension. But there was, all, there was also a verbal understanding between the team and, and his agent, David Mulgetta, um, on how they were going to play that timeline out that both parties mutually agreed to. Um, so in the case of a Chase Young, and then I've also gotten Daniil Hunter questions. So, and I think those, they're, they're great questions. So I'm going to kind of put them together. You're obviously looking for a player who um, could help you in the short term and the long term. So age is a factor, of course. And I think that if Daniil would have been more openly available um, or Minnesota would have sort of deemed him more openly available earlier, I think that that's someone that the Rams maybe could have pushed harder for. Um, and Chase Young certainly fits the mold of a, of a player who could help you in the short term and the long term. So the thing that I would say is that what I would want every, what I would want everyone to just keep an eye on is the the start of the season isn't really the Rams deadline here because once they start playing games, if they start winning a lot of games, like, like I've said, they think they're going to be better than other people think that they're going to be. And we don't know whether that's crazy or not just yet. Cause we haven't seen shit, but we like, they think they're going to be better <laughs> than, than the rest of the world thinks that they're going to be. And, and, and I cannot emphasize that enough. Like that's honest, like genuine, earnest communication. Um, they, they genuinely believe that whether that's hubris or not, we don't know yet, but they do believe that. So if, if that's true and they um, end up winning more games, or especially ahead of the trade deadline specifically, and they feel like, hey, yeah, this, this is a playoff team. We know that we're going to have all this cap space in 2024. So if you sign somebody or trade for somebody closer to the deadline, that means that you actually can start to negotiate and navigate that contract situation because you're not doing it in June. It's more closer to the end of, you know, this season, the start of the next season. You can start to navigate those types of conversations and sort of say, okay, yeah, let's finish the season with you and then work on a type of extension. That's kind of what they had hoped to do with like a Von Miller, for example. And we know how that turned out, but. That's sort of the the timeline. Like they've show, showed us their blueprint for the timeline of something like this. Um, so I, I certainly don't. If I, I certainly don't rule stuff like that out for the Rams, how and certainly they will they will explore premium positions in that regard. Those those positions um, receive sometimes receiver, but not always. Um, definitely corner. Definitely pass rusher. They will always explore what is possible at those positions. If that talent, if they deem the talent is, is worthy of that exploration, um, they will always do that. But the timeline specifically is what I think we need to be focusing on here, less so maybe the player himself, um, because the timeline is going to be predicated on a, a huge if-then statement. And I'm back in like eighth grade science here, where it's like, if they're winning the amount of games that they think they're going to be winning um, 
immediately through the, the 2023 season, then they become more aggressive in exploring those types of bridge players like a Brian Burns that, that they thought he could be someone who could help them in the short term, but then also be a cornerstone player for them for the longer term because of the age, because of the ability and potential. Um, so Daniel at this point, you know, he's going to be 29. Um, you know, I'm not quite, I'm not quite sure about that specifically, just, just in terms of where their roster build is at right now versus where they, they, you know, think they might be, um, it's kind of like right on the, right on the late side, right on the edge of, um, how much of a res- how many resources do you potentially want to push in for, for a, a, a player? Um, but Chase Young, certainly, I think there's some intrigue in, in this, you know, it's just a natural thing. If you, you players become available at these premium positions, and of course they're going to, um, discuss it at least. And, and my, Previous reporting was that yeah they had discussed Daniel Hunter, but at that point Minnesota, you know, obviously was not budging. Um, now they want to, so it's kind of like a lesson in how both teams have a say and sort of like kind of what you're doing and and what they're doing, and um, it's it's all it's all a mess that I'm glad that I don't have to weave through. But um, but yeah, I think it's it's truly an if then then statement. I think we have to focus less on the player and more on the timeline. Um, if they if they win the games that they think they're going to win early on, I think we then they look specifically at that trade deadline to start building their 2024 roster, not just to finish the 2023 season, but to start literally to start building their 2024 roster and get a jump on things in that regard. Hopefully um, that answered your question again. Um, I started rambling, so I'm trying to get better at that, guys. I'm sorry. But um, okay, Roger M, look alive. I'm going to bring you up on stage. Can you guys hear yep. me? We got you. Roger, okay. Roger. <laughs> Sorry about that, Jordan. I'm, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I am at work. I shouldn't even be on here. I love I this. Pass, I couldn't pass up this opportunity to ask. I, to be honest, I had a lot of questions, but just to add to, you know, the whole podcast, how it's going to be, kind of want to ask something a little bit different. Um, so obviously the Rams being in LA, I'm, I, I live out here. I believe we need to have, we're a city of stars, you know, letting go of Ramsey, in my opinion, was a mistake because of the culture that he was adding to the fan base here. You know, I, I go to the games, I show up, I support. Out of the rookies, is there anybody that you see, um, and obviously Ramsey was, you know, one of one, but is there someone that you see potentially, you know, making the team that has that type of persona? Because I believe we do need that here. And obviously AD, Cup, you know, Stafford, they, they're going to have to take on a huge, 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 huge amount of load this year. Um, so I think if we don't have the best season, we possibly well, – well, well, the seasons we were having were helping the fan base grow, and I've been seeing it, you know. Um, now, I am scared if we don't have the best. I'm going to be honest. People out here aren't the most diehard loyal because, hey, go to a game over here, go do this, you know. Um, so yeah, so, and I know I just rambled on too. I'm trying to combine all these questions that I had. Um, so is there anyone that you see that can maybe jump up there? You know, like I see Kobe Durant, I see him potentially being there, but is there anybody else that you see with that, like dog in them? Maybe if you want to use that word, I know it's maybe not the most appropriate, but, um, but yeah. Roger, awesome questions. Also, uh, Way to way to fight the machine here and get on this podcast while you're at work. I love that. I appreciate that. Um, 
And, uh, and thank you for the questions. I think it's a good question or a good series of questions. And I think that it's, it's super valid because, um, yeah, Jalen Ramsey, he brought a different type of energy, right? Like you have, um, these established core leaders, Jalen being one of them, and they all have to complement each other in different ways, right? Like you have to have somebody who's willing to, you know, stick their face into someone else's face and say, Hey, get your, you know, what together or, um, set an example of that tenacity and that aggressiveness and, you know, the, the savviness and like just being so, um, on all the time. Like you, you do need that. And, and all these guys have that, the guys they have left anyway on, in, in terms of their leaders, like they have that in their own ways. And I think that's one thing that's cool about, um, learning more about this group at, over the years is they've let them be themselves in that regard. But I, but I agree with you. You need somebody who is totally fine with being the villain sometimes if they have to be or if that's what the situation calls for. And, and frankly, I think that that's, that's a really cool LA, like we love stories, right? We love stars. We love stories. We love, um, people who, who bring that, like th- that depth. And, and I think that, that Jalen really brought that depth in terms of, um, just the, the, the facets of his personality and the way that he approached challenge you know, being a corner, which is one of the hardest jobs in football, but like taking it on with that tenacity. And, and, and I think that that's, so I think that's a great question. And, and as someone who rambles, don't worry about rambling, man, <laughs> like <laughs> I'm someone who rambles. So, um, yeah, I think so far it's, it's so early, right? It's so early to tell with some of the rookies. And I know that's not what people want to hear right now, but you know, you'd rather be right than, um, put someone in a box that maybe they don't belong in early on. And, but, but I will say in terms of that star power, in terms of, um, the, that juice, that firepower, um, Trey Tomlinson is somebody as a rookie right away who I can see just really wanting to embrace that type of star power, really wanting to embrace that, that chippiness, um, really, really smart young player. Obviously he's playing with a chip on his shoulder because of the height stuff and where he was drafted, but is, is taking on a really heavy mental workload early on. And, you know, obviously he's, he's got, you know, he understands what it means because of his family. He understands what it means to be a superstar in Los Angeles. He understands the stakes essentially of what that would be. And so I think for me, I'm interested really in, in watching how he continues to uh, mature and how he continues to hone his craft and develop a role within this team. Because um, I absolutely think that, that him, Kobe Duran is someone who brings the energy all the time. Um, you know, I'm looking at, at, at Kobe Turner too. Um, you know, Kobe Turner, pretty, pretty quiet, you know, he's kind of a little bit more of the gets along, gets along with everybody when he's, um, you know, out of the, off the field or in the huddle. And, um, but, but on the field, you know, I'm seeing a lot of bursts. I'm seeing a lot of fire from, from him, even going through drills. He approaches drills very meticulously. Um, and I think that those types of things, you're looking for these little clues right now, right? Can these can these guys can these players just can blocks, but also understand the stakes of of what the potential is here and and what it would be like um, to be a star um, on a Los Angeles team? I, I completely I think that's a great question. I love that you asked about the personality side of it too, because as you guys know, I love talking about that stuff. Um, so so thank you so much for the question and thanks again. Thanks for jumping on while you're at work. All right, uh, Keyshawn, uh, look alive. Going to put you on the stage here. Uh, okay, there we go. All right. Uh, thank you, Jordan. I appreciate it. Read all your articles all the time, whether thank they come you. in at five or six in the morning. 
Um, so my question is pretty simple. I had some other questions written down that got answered. Um, but my question is mainly on the influence of Mike LaFleur on the offense and is his main role helping to diversify the running game? Great question, Sean. Thank you so much. Thanks for the kind words too. I know there's some crazy, got some crazy post times. You guys are great for, uh, for, for, for bearing with me. Um, yeah. So Michael LaFleur, one thing to really keep in mind about Michael LaFleur is he was on sort of the ground floor of the Shanahan tree and specifically of that run game and of, um, what they were trying to do, especially when they were um, a little bit more outside zone, but then also starting to m- be malleable and move into like being a pretty multiple run game attack. And I think that's something that, of course, Sean McVay looked at with Mike LaFleur, also the familiarity um, and also his, you know, he's got a range of experience with receivers and quarterbacks, um, stuff like that. And so I think those are all things that they looked at, but, but yes, to your point, Specifically, uh, between the collaboration of Mike LaFleur and Ron Gold, who's the new running backs coach, like I am really, the expectations are sky high, I think, for this group because they have to be, right? Sean McVay has been saying for the last three years that one of the priorities is overhauling the run game, doing things a little bit differently than they've done. And, And obviously, you know, the injuries that they went through and then the situations last year with the O line and then the Cam Akers stuff, like, you know, all some of that is is outside. Some of it is outside of of the control of a team that's trying to put together a cohesive plan week in and week out. But I think something that really was a lesson for Sean McVay is that the importance of yes, passing the ball is super fun. We all like passing the ball. Matthew Stafford likes passing the ball. Everybody loves passing the ball. It scores points <laughs> faster. Um, but one of the lessons, the hard lessons that I think you, you didn't learn it in the Super Bowl because you won the Super Bowl even without a run game, but then you really learned it the next year. What, how, uh, how little depth you can have as a group and how little multiplicity you can have as a group if you cannot run the ball effectively. And I think also the league is moving toward um, obviously, we're seeing a lot more lighter boxes. We're seeing a lot more too high. We're seeing a lot more uh, of that shell defense um, across the league. And that means you've got to be able to freaking run the ball, right? Right. And you got to be able to do it in a bunch of different ways. <laughs> and, um, and and when in doubt, as Andrew Whitworth always said, when in doubt, just freaking run it at him. And I think that that's what uh, a, a huge lesson that this group learned. Um, Keyshawn, it's a great question because I also see it in what they're doing with their offensive line. Um, they're get, they've gotten bigger on the interior of the offensive line. Coleman Shelton, who's been repping at starting center, um, and I'm probably going to get a dart in the neck for sharing that, but Coleman Shelton is bigger um, than, than Brian Allen. And it, it doesn't take away from the, the mental or the, um, you know, any of the, the ability that these guys have, but he's just a bigger, generally just a bigger player. Um, Tremaine Ankrum has really started developing into a, bigger interior lineman um, and looks great coming off that injury. Steve Avila, he is a massive human being. Alaric Jackson on the outside, AJ, um, on the left side at left tackle. He is massive. Rob Havenstein used to be like the hulking figure, right, of this line, especially post-Whitworth. You could see the size difference there um, because Whitworth's like a a, a large human. But then when he retired, Rob Havenstein, he he was like the biggest guy on the line, and, and you don't necessarily want that for your for your right tackle. You want someone tall, but you don't want some. You, you need really wide 
set guards if you really want to run the ball the way that they're going to. When, when you could live in an outside zone, in a wide zone world specifically, and, and that was all really all you were doing, and it worked really well, and I think it's still one of the best ways to run the ball in, in this league. Um, but you can get, really get away with having a bunch of smaller, quicker players because they weren't blocking straight forward a, a lot of the time. They're moving side to side. They're moving horizontally, or excuse me, they're moving horizontally, and they're stretching a defense with their speed and they're gassing out a defense with their speed and allowing them the running back to hit them with that um, outside and then downhill cut. And I think that you can get away with that for, for a while. Um, but if you're starting to shift and you're starting to want to go mix things up and go a little bit heavier personnel sometimes, or do a little bit more of the gap power stuff, or do a, do some of the mid zone stuff that we've seen them, them do a little bit. Um, you, you do need to have guys who can move people off the line of scrimmage straight ahead of them. <laughs> and I think that, finding that balance between people who are athletic that can still move side to side pretty well if they need to, but also um, moving people off the line of scrimmage and like being freaking nasty while you do it. Um, that's, I think what they're in Sean's words, um, hunting up <laughs> at this point. Um, so it's a great question. And I think, yes, like you said, like you alluded to, I think Mike LaFleur has a big part of that. So I'm going to get to you guys, some of you guys questions in the chat. Um, and that's funny. I didn't think they'd print stuff like that anymore. That's hilarious. You guys are so funny. Um, okay, let's see. Kelton. Oh, yeah. Okay, Kelton, I'm going to get to your question in the chat. Uh, JB Long mentioned the Rams have a tight end room now instead of just a skill position. Does the number of tight ends indicate a bit of an offensive shift? Well, yes and no, because I this still it's, it's about being more multiple, right? Like, you want the opportunity to get into 12 personnel if you need to, but you also have a lot of hybrid receivers like Ben Skoranek did a lot of tight end concepts for them, which sort of gave them the option of being a little bit lighter in the tight end room um, last year. And I think he'll still continue to, to be a versatile player for them and do a lot of hybrid stuff. That's You need more positionless players in that regard, the way that the, the modern league is, is taking shape. And you need more people who can do more things so that you can do more combinations out of the same look, which is what... Sean McVay's calling card has been for, for so long, um, you, the illusion of complexity, um, doing a lot of running a lot of different concepts, but it all looks like 11 personnel or 12 personnel, those types of things. So I think having a tight end room, quote unquote, is more of an indication of, hey, Tyler Higby's in the last year of his contract. He's been great for the Rams, but there is going to be a certain point where, you know, you move on and you need to make sure that you have competition beneath him so that you're developing people. Um, and Nick Cayley, the new tight ends coach, is, is a big part of that as well. Um, okay. Alan S. says, good morning. Has there been any updates regarding the pr proposed training site in Woodland Hills? Um, no official updates, but I am expecting them to get the ball rolling on trying to get at least a, uh, a temporary site set up on their permanent, on their new permanent site um, because they've just, you know, I, I, I love Cal Lutheran. It's really pretty up there, but um, they've just been there too long. The buildings are falling apart. So um, I think they're trying to gonna want to start the process of moving people down into the valley um, at, at some point soon. Obviously, training camps will be at Irvine um, this year, but I, I would expect some some more updates through this next year about that uh, more formally. That's just something that uh, that I've sort of. Uh, uh, been just hearing about nothing super official or formal capacity, but I think you'll probably get some, you, like you want to see the official groundbreaking, right? Like you want to have that moment. Um, and so at some point I would hope that the Rams are putting something together in that regard, because it is really hard to, uh, 
conduct real estate transactions in the city of Los Angeles. But when you're Stan Kroenke, uh, you could probably uh, make whatever you want happen in that regard. So, um, okay, Kelton, I'm going to bring you back. <laughs> hey, he, ma- he made it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for answering my question, Jordan. Jordan, my name is on Twitter, Brooke Simba. I mentioned everything. Oh, you you're do. so nice. Oh, you're uh, the best. I know who you are. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Thank you for being such a positive voice um, for Rams Twitter. No, no problem. I um, read everything you put out. Of course, when you asked my, my tight end question, I was going to say if the 11 personnel podcast turned into the 12 personnel podcast. But I will, <laughs> I will answer my, my secondary question. For You talked about the cornerbacks, but about the safeties. I mean, Jordan Fuller, he had the injury year. Looks like he's getting back to health and he's coming back as well. I think a lot of Rams Twitter, just myself in general, was looking at Quinn Lake. But you mentioned a lot of Russ, Russ Yeast <laughs> and, and how he's continued to ascend. So what do you think about the safety um, coming up in this in, um, this offseason? Great question. Um, and, yes, I share your difficulty in saying Russ because Russ yeast. Uh, Russ yeast. Yeah. That took me a lot of practice last year. And like, what a, he's a great, he's a great, per, he's a great young person. Um, yeah. I, I would expect, um, I, I would expect definitely to, to see more of him there. Basically what's going on right now is uh, trying to figure out what combination works really well with Jordan Fuller. And, and he's sort of the anchor of the group. Um, he, it, it, in a pinch, if he needed to, he could, he could call the defense, um, Ernest Jones is doing that right now. Um, Raheem Morris has typically gravitated toward inside linebackers doing that. Um, but we know, we know, you know, as long time people have been around this team, uh, we know that um, safeties have done it in the past. The Rams are sort of trailblazers in that regard. Um, and, and Jordan, so Jordan's certainly capable of, of doing that. Um, but also, you know, I think that you're looking at, at who's the best fit in complement to what Jordan can do. Um, a lot of times Jordan's not going to be like in the box. Um, and so you're looking at a player who you're looking for a player who maybe has some of that ability um, and, and obviously can come down from that, that depth, that rotation that we see post snap with these safeties that show much like the offense show the same look pre snap. And then they, they crank one of them down or they rotate their safeties down and they rotate their coverage and mix coverages post snap. So I think you're going to, you're, you're looking for somebody who can handle that, mental workload, um, which a lot of these guys so far seem like they can. And you're also looking for somebody who can be physical in the box, really take away some of that underneath stuff, really take away some of that quick game. Obviously, uh, you know, not to subtweet or anything, but you need someone who tackles well, like you need stuff that you need people who just fundamentally are very sound. And you really saw uh, Nick Scott start to, to show some of those gifts it's been interesting because I've seen them work a lot of different combinations in this regard. So you've seen um, Jordan Fuller get matched with Quentin Lake. You've seen Jordan Fuller get matched with Russ Yeast. And Russ is a little bit smaller than Quentin Lake. Um, Quentin Lake's built a little bit more like Jordan Fuller. Um, and, and and then you've seen Jordan Fuller get matched with, um, uh, oh, I just mentioned him the other day. Shoot. There's so many new people on this team. I'm so sorry. Um, 33. I just mentioned him, Colin Duncan. Yeah, you, you've seen him match with Colin Duncan, who's like kind of built like a linebacker. He, he's wearing 33 and he looks like Nick Scott running around out there. You're just seeing a lot of different combinations um, that are are working right now. And that's that's a part of it. You're, you're going to see that, but also how everyone meshes with the corners, how the communication works, um, how, how everything flows. Because 
what they really want to see is, in my opinion, they should be more aggressive and they should absolutely be taking more risks, matching routes out of that match zone, matching down harder. And, and I think they have the, this, the quickness, um, with some of these players to do that, but you also need that playing on a rope mentality. You need everybody to be of one accord, of one flow, of one mind. And one it harkens back to another question earlier. Jalen Ramsey was someone who just kept them so locked in together. A lot of times when they're at their best, you could really feel he was the, um, the heartbeat that was sort of, um, defining how in sync that they would play. Um, so th- they're really looking for establishing that vibe as a collective. And it's really going to take, I think, working through a couple different combinations. Training camp is where we're going to really see who starts to emerge. I-, I remember when Jordan Fuller got into the league and we didn't really see him take over and take ownership of that starting role until, you know, we were coming through training camp. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, shoot, like this rookie is about to take someone's job. Um, and, and, and so that's when you really start to see these types of things emerge. You're going to see a lot of that with a lot of these different guys this season, just because, you know, they are, um, they are so young and there's so many positions, um, up, up for grabs. Um, okay. So, uh, let's see. Anonymous Ben Skronik news. Um, he was not practicing this last week because of foot soreness, but, um, you know, other than that, I haven't heard anything in terms of falling in the, in the receiver order. He's someone who's really versatile. Um, so I, I would expect to see him continue to be, um, a really versatile player for them and do a lot of different things. Personally, I'd like to see more fullback, but that's a pipe dream. I know it's like, we just get just a taste of, of some of those awesome fullback concepts. And then they, all of a sudden they run away from it. Um, so that's, that it is what it is. Um, okay. I'm going to go to Twitter because there are a couple of people I wanted to get to on Twitter who can't make it this morning and have some, have some questions. Um, Let's see. James Staley wanted to know if there are intellectual property issues that come up between teams in the NFL when certain staff gets hired away, seeing that the Rams lost their analytics manager to Titans made me curious about that. Yeah. Sarah Bailey got hired by the Tennessee Titans this week. Are there such things as trade secrets in the NFL? So I would compare all of it, whether it's business side, scouting, uh, coaching, st- like I would compare all of it to when Sean McVay loses assistant coaches, right? Like you automatically know that there, it's not like you, it's not like you sign. Well, I, I don't want to speak for anyone, but like, it's not like you sign like a non-disclosure. I'm not going to bring up the Rams and my new job kind of a thing. Um, but it, it, it really will depend on what the team wants and how, how much the new team wants of your ideas. Now we know we've seen this in the past that when people hire McVay coaches, they want the McVay system. They want the McVay coaching style. They want the McVay uh, playbook. They want all of that. So I, I don't know how far that gets in terms of the business side, the marketing, the scouting, the PR, the analytics. But um, Sarah is someone who has so much experience in her field. And I can imagine now that the Titans are starting to really broaden out an analytics, analytics department really for the first time um, under their new management, Rain Carthon, um, I, I can imagine that they're looking to establish a foundation with somebody who has experience, who knows what it's supposed to look like, who knows how it's supposed to function. Now, it doesn't mean that spreadsheets are just getting passed around from all the Rams data. That doesn't mean that at all. But it's just more of a, an ethos thing. Like if you want to set a new culture, you want to create a new culture, you pull from a culture that works. And we've seen that with coaches time and time again. Um, and I think that's what's happening here with uh, with Sarah. And congrats to her. She's awesome. Um, 
Someone says, I never felt the O-line had an identity going into last year, maybe finesse over power, no boom and Allen, with the new O-line coach plus retaining Cromer. Is there a change in philosophy and identity from Carberry or is it just will be healthy and better? Yeah, there's definitely an identity and a tone shift. Got to that a little bit earlier in this podcast when uh, talking about the run game. Um, Ryan Wendell. So, okay, not to give too much away. So I've been working on this pretty massive project that, crosses the scope of the Rams, but is way bigger than that. And in terms of, you know, the football landscape, and I've been working on it for the last year and I've been going to different buildings in different places and asking, doing interviews and things like that. And the spring when I was in different buildings, just talking about like updates and the lay of the land and all this stuff, I kept hearing, Oh, that was such a good hire. Oh, coach Wendy, the nickname coach Wendy. Oh, that was such a good hire. Oh, that, that, that hire kicks ass. Oh, he's great. Those types of things. And to me, that stands out because coaches don't want to compliment each other in that setting. So nobody ever wants to do that. So um, it, it just, to me, that stood out. And then you could see there's like, it's obviously going to be a learning curve. It's obviously going to be a work in progress, but it's definitely, they, the group is physically larger. Um, it feels like super heavy on uh technique so far. And again, so early in the, in the stages of all of this, so early in the game here. Um, and we don't know because they're not really blocking people right now. Um, but in terms of really trying to figure out who the starting five is going to be, and then also getting just that, that offensive line, like stereotypical, like be great buddies with each other and, and friends with the world off the field be just like freaking mean as hell on the field. I, you, you could feel that. And Ryan Wendell is a former player. Um, so, and, and, and also was with the Patriots for a while. So um, you, and with Cromer in Buffalo. So, so you, you know that he understands that dynamic and you know that vibe. So we'll see how it goes. I can't say anything definitive yet, um, but so far the hire has been really pretty highly praised outside of the Rams building. So um, yeah. Um, okay. So I'm going to do a couple more before we, we go. Um, the best position battle that isn't being talked about enough. Um, let's see. I, you know, I would say safety is, is pretty, pretty high up there because again, you have to find the, the right fit uh, opposite Jordan Fuller. And, and that's not to say, I mean, Jordan, Jordan's a veteran and I think he's outstanding, but, but every position is, is sort of a competition right now. Um, I think tight end is, is a really good one um, because, you know, Bryson Hopkins has something to prove, but Hunter Long also has something to prove. I mean, they went out and got this guy and he's sort of wearing that um, maybe unfair sort of uh, label of, oh, you're the guy that they Ramsey in a third round pick for like, really? Like, so, you know, you have to, you kind of want to prove yourself in that regard. Um, so I think that's going to be a fun one to watch. Um, obviously the offensive line is always fun to watch, but we just, there's so little we know about that group in general until actual games start. Um, yeah. So I think those are, those are the three, uh, position coach making the biggest impact. I would say, again, we don't know until we see how these guys play, but I would say it's been really fun watching Aubrey Pleasant coach as usual. Um, and then also I'd shout out Zach Robinson because he has had to teach a couple of rookie quarterbacks from scratch for the first time, things that they haven't had to teach in years, um, inclusive to like how many drop steps you take when you're running a play action. At what particular second in your drop are you executing the play, the run fake? 
where do you put your eye, like how do you turn your head? Um, how wide are your steps when you t- those t- tiny, tiny things? It's just natural for people who have been in the system for a long time because the McVeigh-Shannon system has very specific rules with those types of things. Um, and so you have to reteach them for the first time ever. Um, and I think Zach, so I think Zach Robinson's taken on a, a pretty massive, <laughs> pretty substantial workload um, this year. Um, okay, I'm going to get to one more question. Oh, thank you, Trey G. Appreciate you. Um, okay, Jake B, I'm going to get to your question before we wrap here. Uh, also, Caesar, Caesar C, I see your question. Um, I will shamelessly direct you toward theathletic.com, uh, where I just wrote a feature where I got really uh, dug deep inside the, the dynamics of the special teams room, all the details that they're learning, the coaching. Um, I do think it's fair to be worried about having a, a rookie at every specialist position. Um, but I do think that if I could shamelessly direct you over there uh, to that article where I think you can get a great discount, by the way, if you want to be a subscriber, um, then <laughs> you can you can really get granular inside some of the things that you're curious about. And then um, how realistic Jake B wants to know how realistic is it to expect to rely on rookies on offense compared to defense? Um, you mentioned how the D and O want to be positionless, but what's the learning curve for certain positions? That's a fantastic question. I could probably go for an entire other hour on just that question alone. That's that's a fabulous question. Um, the offense is still pretty top heavy, and we know Sean McVay's identity in terms of he wants he wants every, he, he wants the illusion of complexity, quote unquote. It's the thing that they all say about this system where you're going to run every type of concept and scenario out of the same look pre-snap because that keeps the defense guessing. And and when you hesitate, you die in this league. So that's something that when you have hybrid players, positionless players, um, like, like last year we saw, they were doing some, some like some 21 and some fullback personnel stuff with, with Ben Skoranek, but they were still running 11 personnel uh, stuff and then they would in their run game, they would change it up. And then you didn't know whether Skronik was going to be a, you know, a tight end or a receiver. And so you could mix up 12 and 11 personnel um, still out of the same look in the same formation. And then that's super important because they like to tempo is, is something that Sean has really used to his advantage over the years. And you don't have to sub if you have players who can do more things. And when you don't have to sub, when you have players who can do more things, then that means you can go tempo. And that really kills a defense because they can't get into their calls if you're rushing them. Um, so that's something that um, I would expect them to continue to do. Um, on defense, though, what I'm looking at in terms of, quote unquote, positionless players, like I consider Aaron Donald to be a positionless player because he can line up anywhere and you can use him to leverage math against other uh, things that the offensive line wants to do. Like he's a plus three. And so you can say, okay, you've got two, two alignments. So that's a plus two. Okay. Aaron Donald's a plus three. If we put him on the edge, then that makes him a plus four against the plus two. So then we have got a two point advantage in terms of our pass rush uh, equation that we're putting together. So it's basically all about like, how can you leverage your positionless players to continue to increase an advantage over whatever schematic opposition you're seeing on the other side? And I look at Kobe Turner as someone potentially who could have that, that uh, ability for them to, to have the, the ability to be versatile in the way you line up on the inside. And then obviously you really want that in your secondary. Um, you don't have, um, 
you, you don't have designations really anymore. The language of defenses has changed. Um, you have safeties versus a free and a post or a free and a box. Like you have corners who are on overhangs who have to come down into space and tackle. You've got the the star position that has really evolved and, and molded as something brought up from from the college ranks, especially as teams have gotten a lot more pass heavy and a lot more multiple with the way that they get the ball to running backs in space and the quick game and those types of uh, things that you see. You, you, then you need you also need safeties who can um, come down and play in the slot if you, if you need to because of some of the tight end mismatches that you're seeing. So the learning curve is huge to your, to your point, but basically what you're trying to do on both sides of the ball is have that plus one, plus two advantage at more positions than the other team has. Um, and so obviously that's, that's a huge learning curve, especially on the defensive side if you're talking about the Rams specifically because right now you've basically got Aaron Donald who can do that. And so now you're finding out who else, who else can do more, who can be multiple. Kobe Durant, by the way, is someone who I think is, uh, could be a star, uh, literally and figuratively in this, in this regard, um, who can move inside and outside, who could sort of shapeshift as the defense shapeshifts. And, and when you have more players that can do that, you can get much more creative with the type of scheme that you run, how aggressive you can be. You saw that seriously disappear from the Rams over the last year and you saw the ripple effect. They were way less aggressive. They were kind of taking the bargain of, okay, as long as we limit the explosive, we have a chance of keeping our offense in this game. And on the converse, when Sean McVay's teams have been at their best, he's had hyper versatile players at so many of the skill positions. Um, so again, I could go for another hour on this. I love this topic. It's a great question. Um, but yeah, you guys have been, have been amazing. Uh, Trey G to your point or to your question. Yes, this will be recorded and available to re-listen to later. We got some great questions in the beginning. Um, guys, I'm going to start wrapping us up here, but I, I just so appreciate you. Like this is, this is a lot of fun. I get nervous before I do these because I never know. Uh, do people want to interact? Um, but you guys show up and, and show out every single time. Um, you're always asking thoughtful questions. And hopefully we get we get Rich Hammond back in the mix here soon in terms of uh, I know that they're I know that he's on the beat on the uniform beat. I don't think there's <laughs> don't know that you guys will get the news that you're that you're looking for. But I know that he's uh, he's in charge of, of getting some of those questions answered. And uh, I know we seem like we joke about that, but I am dead serious. I want no part of part of that. So he can <laughs> he can deal with all. Um, he's covering playoff hockey right now. And hopefully we have. A couple of uh, a couple of episodes here to get you launched into the summer. Um, make sure you guys are following along with me at the Athletic. I'll have some dispatches from minicamp next week. Media has more access next week than we've had through OTAs, so that's super exciting. And to get you guys some more stories and some more um, some more info on the players that you're so curious about, on the players that I'm so curious about because I haven't met all of them yet. <laughs> because there's what. 50 new guys. <laughs> so um, as always, I appreciate you guys. Hope you guys are taking care of each other and yourselves. Hope you're staying caffeinated and hydrated. Catch you next time. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. 
Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.